This episode of the Artsy Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Artists, photographers, and designers of all kinds have used Squarespace to showcase their works, and you can do it too. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch your site and show your work to the world, use the offer code ARTSY to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's offer code ARTSY, A-R-T-S-Y. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm Abigail Kane. Over the holidays, we're translating a few of our favorite art historical stories from this year into audio. This episode tells the dramatic story behind Jackson Pollock's largest painting, which in the end turns out to be a little bit more fiction than fact. Also, just a quick warning that there's some mild cursing in this one. Here's the show. In the summer of 1943, Peggy Guggenheim commissioned a young Jackson Pollock to paint a mural for her Manhattan townhouse. At this point, the artist was relatively unknown. He had yet to receive a solo show, and he was years from producing the first of his iconic drip paintings. Guggenheim herself was ambivalent about his practice, persuaded instead by both her assistant and Marcel Duchamp, who saw promise in the artist's small-scale works. This commission came with a contract, rare at the time, of $150 per month. The money was a game changer. Pollock and his future wife, Lee Krasner, a painter in her own right, were barely scraping by in their shared New York apartment. The problem was Pollock couldn't get started. As Krasner told it, he stared at the blank canvas for days that turned into weeks, that turned into months. Guggenheim, at first simply concerned, became increasingly frustrated with his progress. She finally gave Pollock an ultimatum. Finish the painting for a party I'm throwing in January, or your stipend is history. When Krasner went to sleep the night before the deadline, Pollock still hadn't made a single mark. She was certain that his career was over. When Krasner awoke the next morning, the 160-square-foot canvas had been transformed into a frenzy of energetic brushstrokes. Teal, yellow, red, and black marks looped and whirled on a white background, a vision Pollock later described as a stampede of every animal in the American West, cows and horses and antelopes and buffaloes. Everything is charging across that goddamn surface. Pollock rolled up the canvas and delivered it to Guggenheim's apartment with hours to spare. For years, the story was accepted as fact. Krasner offered the original account of that fateful night, which was later corroborated by Guggenheim and art critic Clement Greenberg. It was cemented by a Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of Pollock published in 1989. But as research conducted by the J. Paul Getty Museum and the Getty Conservation Institute proved conclusively in 2014, the tale is definitely exaggerated. A team of technicians determined that the work was painted over a period of weeks, identifying several layers of paint that dried between applications. That wasn't the first time someone poked holes in Krasner's story. In the catalog for the Museum of Modern Art's 1998 Pollock retrospective, a footnote expressed serious doubts. But the Getty's two-year-long analysis of mural offered concrete scientific evidence that the work was not painted overnight. 
That's not to say, however, that the story is completely false. Conservation scientists at the Getty say that it looks as if Pollock did finish some kind of initial composition over much of the canvas very rapidly, perhaps even in a single all-night session. Dispelling this myth has not diminished the painting's art historical significance either. As Pollock's first large painting, Mural is considered a pivot point in his practice. Like much of his work from the early 1940s, it features quite a bit of mythic imagery. But the areas of loose paintwork give you glimpses of what's to come. It was the first time that the artist experimented with commercial paints, for instance. Among the high-end artist soils used in mural, most likely supplied by Guggenheim, Getty researchers discovered swatches of White House paint. And while Pollock used a brush for most of the composition, he heralded his later drip techniques by flicking pink paint onto portions of the canvas. He would eventually lay his works flat on the floor and stand over them, but in this case, he probably flung the paint at an upright canvas. Mural would not only be Pollock's first large painting, it would be his largest. So large, in fact, that he and Krasner were forced to dismantle one of their apartment's walls to fit the canvas inside, secretly carrying chunks of plaster to the garbage cans at night so as not to alert their neighbors. Greenberg, who would become one of Pollock's most prominent supporters, loved it. Later, the critic would say that he took one look at Mural and knew that Pollock was the greatest painter the country had ever produced. Although it hung for several years in Guggenheim's apartment, when she moved back to Europe following the end of World War II, the massive painting needed a new home. Guggenheim eventually gifted Mural to the University of Iowa, where the correspondence concerning the cost of its delivery is amusingly cavalier, particularly considering the work's current estimated worth of about $140 million. As the head of the university's art department wrote in December of 1948, the price of $40 to pack it seems rather exorbitant. I wonder if you could see if it could be taken care of for less. Following this letter, he seemed to promptly forget about the work, with correspondence resuming more than two years later, when he finally agreed to the shipping fee. A few years after that, Pollock would be dead, the victim of his own drunken car crash. In the following decades, his mythos continued to grow. All of his work, including Mural, continues to inspire. Perhaps the most recent example is of Kanye West's 2016 music video for Famous, featuring a sculpture of 12 American pop culture icons lying naked side by side in bed. West's animatronic sculpture was based on a painting by Vincent Desiderio, which in turn took cues from Pollock's mural. As one British columnist wrote in 1973, if Pollock had not existed, surely time life would have invented him. What the writer didn't know then, and what the story of mural goes to show, is that some of Pollock's history was already an invention. We've got one more episode coming up that tells a story from art history, and then we'll be back to the regular format. Isaac will be joining us once again. We've already gotten some comments from listeners, and it seems like you guys like this art history thing. If you haven't emailed us yet, we're at podcast at artsy.net. Let us know what you think. It'll help us decide what we're going to do in the new year. Also, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps other people find the show. 
This episode is produced by me, Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for Free. Additional music for this episode is by Little Glass Men and Jazar. See you next time.